Now, obviously, we know in the social media realm, there are negative elements. We've been touching on that. Can you highlight some of the positive ones, right? I mean, this is a part of your livelihood and what you do. It's a part of what we do as a ministry as well. But, but how are some of the ways that Christians can steward social media from the positive standpoint? Can I mention one more negative before we go Absolutely. to the positive? Is sure. that okay? You can mention 10 more negatives. You know, well, once we go to the positive side, I don't want to bring the conversation down by getting negative again. <laughs> yeah, no, go, go for it. And, and there are a number of negatives. And you know, we've thought about these things. There's articles online. People are talking about this often. But one thing that really concerns me, particularly post-2020, is that we're seeing the erosion of community. That's good, yeah. Yep. And when church went online mm. and people were watching live streams, the accelerated pace of people adopting digital technology, audiobooks, podcasts, all of this sort of thing, this upcoming generation doesn't have an appreciation for in-person, embodied community, mm. worship, and we're called not to neglect the gathering together of the saints. And there are many, many people that when they think about what a local church is, they don't see the distinction between online church, virtual church, and embodied worship with a group of people where there are pastors that know your name, who will give an account for you, they're, they're caring for your soul. And I think of the end of Second John, and John says, there's basically, there's so much more I wish I could say to you, mm. but I would rather not use uh, paper and ink. I'd <laughs> rather come to you and be face-to-face so that our joy may be full. Where did I take my beloved father-in-law Ray Comfort for Father's Day? Nowhere. Where else but Chilies. Chili's. Oh. Ray, that was fun. We had a good time. And, yeah. I, and I liked the steak. It enjoyed was really, your steak? Oh, yeah, really enjoyed it. I can't believe you got it medium. Medium, medium, yeah. No, it's got to be medium well. No. That's the no. only right no. way to do it. No. Why? You Said guys nobody seriously ever. think you know something about meat that I don't know? Yes. Yeah. I'm from Lebanon. That doesn't matter. I'm made of meat. any difference. That's true. <laughs> I'm made of meat. You kill so. the flavor when you, you pick it past medium rare. No. I'll, I'll teach I'll you guys you some medium. things about flavor. Yeah, we'll you can, later. like, I can respect medium. Anything past medium, it's it's too close to beef jerky. And speaking well. speaking of that, I did have some seasoning on it that I really liked. Oh, I yeah. would have just liked the seasoning. Oh, without cilantro. The Salt no, pepper. it wasn't. It was cilantro. <laughs> Don't even say that word. C- yeah, cilantro. the seasoning was really good. Have you ever had steak with chimichurri on top? Yep. Good. Chimichurri. Oh, so good. That may be what I had. I don't know. It's no. green. No, it Looks wasn't. like pesto. So we're in Chili's. And the waiter comes up, or the food runner, or whatever, and it gives the food, and then Ray offers him something, and an out card or something. And he goes, you ever see, have you ever watched YouTube? He goes, oh yeah, I see you all the time. I'm from, I go to Cerritos College. Oh, Ray, he knew you right away? Seriously, I would not be surprised if one day you become the mascot for Cerritos College. <laughs> Is he tall enough? <laughs> yeah. No, it wouldn't be. He could sit me up. But then, then we start talking uh, about how Ray can hardly, you know, go into public without being recognized anymore. And right then, these two ladies, like right at, as we get done saying that, these two ladies stand up from the table across from us, come over, and they go, Ray, come. And it was so cool. The lady said she had just been thinking about you. She she watched something. She said, "You owe me forty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Pay me now." And she goes, "I was just thinking. I wonder if I'll ever get to see Ray Comfort." And uh, it was cool. We had a little. I was thinking the same there. thing about her too. And it was so nice to meet her. <laughs> <laughs> when will I get to meet her? But it was really touching. Yeah, I, they were very nice. Then, ladies. Yeah, she called her son because her son is a big fan. Yeah, and Ray talked to him on the phone. Was he a bit shocked, Ray, when you talked to him? 
No, he was just, he was just like his mellow. <laughs> really? Mellow? And yeah, no, she, she wasn't mellow. It was the exact opposite. Very enthusiastic. That's what I'm saying. Was he excited? Yes, he was excited, yes. Yeah. 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 What do you yeah. think I said? I don't know. What you said. <laughs> I'm not listening. I wasn't listening. He's a stupid Eric. Yeah. <laughs> All right, friends. Hey, we got something special, but first... A comment. This is from my name is Sutter Green. I am 13 years old and I love this podcast. <laughs> That's who it's from. I've learned so much from this podcast and it has answered so many questions. When I saw the Living Waters YouTube channel and podcast, it inspired me to start my own channel. I started a YouTube channel called 777 Discipleship 777, where I had the honor to interview Mark Spence. That interview was such an encouragement for me that I now am handing out Living Waters gospel tracts everywhere I go. Every time I need some inspiration on what to post on my channel, I listen to the Living Waters podcast. If you want a great answers to tons of questions, funny is easy's laugh real <laughs> Christian podcast, and I highly recommend the Living Waters podcast. Well, what a mature thirteen-year-old! Yeah, isn't he? Yeah, very. Thank you so much. Uh, you didn't even put a name, Sutter. Sutter. Oh yeah, Sutter. my name is Sutter Green. Yes, you did. Thank you, Sutter. Sorry, it was Mark you interviewed. <laughs> <laughs> Nonetheless, <laughs> no one else was available. Yeah, that's what it was. All right, friends, this podcast is brought to you by the Outreach Book Pack. We told you before about the kind of equipping book pack. This is for outreach to give to others. Uh, and there's six different evangelistic books, Scientific Facts in the Bible, The Ultimate Health Foods, The Mystery, 101 of the Dumbest Things People Have Done, 101 of the Things Husbands Do to Annoy Their Wives, 101 Things Dogs Do to Annoy Their Owners. Man, that's a lot of books, Ray. That's uh, 203 things Ray does that annoys something. <laughs> <laughs> Always. Mark, do you remember the first book of Ray's you read? I believe it was Revival's Golden Key. Ah, which has had 50 billion different titles. Is that now God Has a Wonderful Plan? No, it's The Way of the Master. Oh, it's God Has a Wonderful Plan for Your Life is, is the cream of The Way of the Master book. So you yeah. can give it away without having right. to read 400 pages. That's what it is. Yeah. All right, friends, something very special. Oscar, you and I went to NRB or NERB. 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 Uh, NERB. Did you make that up? Uh, I think so. It's very good. Very, very, yeah, very That's original. But we had, did we have an awesome time there? We did, yeah. You and I had a great time. Yeah. We met some rad people. Red people? Uh, rad people oh. that have red oh, books, I'm sure. Z Rad. Rad, there it is. We so, met some great people. Did you get sore feet walking around? Yeah, that place, it was a lot of walking, yeah. which was good because I was trying to get some more walking. Well, I try to get everyone there to wear big orange slippers so that everyone's comfortable. No one handing them out. Yeah, what is the NRB? National Religious Broadcasters. So it's kind of a convention where people that are involved in Christian media go. It was great. We did some amazing interviews. So we're, we're going to do a little series here of sh letting you listen to interviews. If you're watching the videos, you're going to see us in the, in the same shirts. We just knocked this all out with tops and tails uh, because we interviewed all the people there. But this first interview was really refreshing. Yeah. It was with a brother named Nathan Bingham. He's the vice president of ministry engagement for Ligonier Ministries and does a bunch of other things. You'll hear about that in our interview. But it was a great interview, and uh, we really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, we got into detail about how social media changes us, which is relevant for everybody everywhere. Even if you're not on social media, social media is changing the people around you, the way that we consume content, the things that we believe, uh, the way we view ourselves and the world around us. And so I think Nathan does a great job of making us aware of the water we drink or the air we breathe, if you will. Yeah. And as a teaser... Uh, towards the end of the interview, he told us a story about you, Ray, which was really cool. Yeah, I think people are going to love it. And social media, so huge. I mean, Ray, seriously, your life has changed because of social media. Yes. 
<laughs> Never mind. Mark, your life has changed, hasn't it? Actually, Mark, you're always pushing social media and the importance of it for ministry. Yeah, we, we do need to be careful with it, right? We should not be getting our news from Instagram memes. Mm. Uh, if possible, set up a timer if you find yourself spending too much time on a social media app, whatever that app is. Uh, we need to use it and make sure that the uh, our social media apps don't use us. It's addictive, though, isn't it? Yeah, that's it right. And that's is. exactly the point, because before you know it, you're going down a, a reel a short, uh, what are they call just uh, shorts, shorts, yeah, and yeah. before you know it, you've watched like twenty of them, yeah, you know, and time is gone. So That's we need to be so careful. Yeah. and it's fun, but it's a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> but but Ray, all the people that you've been able to impact through it has just been phenomenal. Oh, it's been incredible. It's a, it's mind blowing to think that we've got such a, a big reach. I remember years ago, um, the pastor that got me over here knelt down, this is 1989, 1990, and he just says, Lord, get the pastors out of the way. Wow. And I've never forgotten that prayer because that was the problem. He had to go through the pastor to get to the people, and if he didn't know who you were, that's it. It's all over. He couldn't do anything. Yeah. And then the television program, and now, now YouTube and social media, it's got straight to the people. Yeah. Amen. Wonderful. All right, friends. Well, without any further ado, we'll be back on the other side of this, but here is our dear brother, Nathan W. Bingham. Well, friends, if the noise didn't give it away, yes, we are still here at NRB in Florida. I wanted to send Oscar it's, over to it's Disneyland. Nerb. Nerb? Nerb, yeah. We're calling Nerb. It Nerb. Yeah, that fits, kind of. Uh, but yeah, I'd love to send Oscar over to Disneyland, put him on the Dumbo ride. Thank you. Please don't. Yeah, I we, might. Yeah. Yeah. Well, friends, we have a special guest here with us, and I, I got a bit excited a second ago because I found someone who can sympathize with me. Nathan W. Bingham is here with us from Ligonier. Nathan, before we get into all the formalities, introducing you and all that, I got a bit excited because there are a few who can sympathize with me because I have a teenage daughter who just got her driver's license. It's a terrifying moment. Oh, you yes. relate, right, bro? Oh, I do. I yeah. do. I'm praying more now than I have, I think, in my entire almost 40 years of existence. Oh, yeah, like never before. And actually, this is my fifth. So wow. I've been through the process, right, sitting behind the wheel, training them. Yeah, five times. So, well, we're gonna have to speak afterwards. You're gonna oh, yeah. have to tell me how you survived this. <laughs> and that's <laughs> in California, by the way. Yeah, California brother. freeways and all of that, which is a you know big difference. Yeah. I have some advice for you. It's okay. gonna cost you. But I'll you <laughs> I need some it. Advice. I need it. Well, Nathan W. Bingham, we're blessed to have you here with us. We'll call you Nathan from here on out, but we want to clear it up with the W so no one misunderstands who you really are. Uh, you're with Ligonier Ministries. You've been uh, going at that for a while. Uh, you are the Vice President of Ministry Engagement, Executive Producer and Host of Renewing Your Mind, and Host of the Ask Ligonier Podcast. Man, you're from Australia. I am from Australia. Good on you, mate. Yes. Yeah. Very good. Very well, good. Well, I'm friends with Ken Ham, so he's a, and Ray Comfort's my father-in-law, so, you know, I'm, I've gotten adapted to the down under well, kind of sound. Well, you know, so Ray's from New Zealand, right? He's a Kiwi? Yeah. 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 So, there's a little bit of tension there between <laughs> Aussies and New Zealanders. All blacks, bro. All uh-huh. blacks. <laughs> I saw yeah. you get heated up when we oh. mentioned he's from New Zealand. Like, I was like, whoa, whoa. easy. Nate. That's why he's not here. Yeah. yeah. He was intimidated. You're all Canadians, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we didn't want to trigger you, brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know what? Nathan, Oscar. real quick, tell us about how you went from being in Australia to being at Ligonier here in Florida. 
Well, that is, that is a great question, a long story, but I'll give you the short story. Early on with social media, uh, 2008, Facebook, Twitter, people trying to figure out how do we, how do we use this new technology to, to glorify God. And I was very active online at that time. And I was tweeting about my faith, Reformed theology, things that I was learning. I was tweeting about technology. And some individuals, Chris Larson, the current president and CEO of, of League of Ministries, Burke Parsons, one of our teaching fellows. Yeah. He's my pastor now as well. Cool. They followed me on Twitter. And so I was very engaged in the Christian conversation at the time. And I was studying theology, was going to go into pastoral ministry. And one day I tweeted this simple question. It wouldn't work today, mind you, mm. but it did back you know, in 2010. This was early 2010. As I'm wrapping up some of my studies, I'm needing a little bit of extra money. Is there anyone that would pay me for some social media consulting? That was your question? That basically, that yeah. Was... That's not word for word, but basically, like, anyone willing to pay me, I'll, I'll help you. <laughs> yeah. Light bulb not moment. much different than a beggar on the side of the street, really. That's right. Right? <laughs> With the cardboard. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. H- have some experience. We'll travel. <laughs> right. Um, and so I tweeted that. And I believe it was a Friday evening. Chris Larson was out to dinner. Burke Parsons was somewhere else. They both read that tweet at the same time, texted each other. This is what I found out afterwards and said, did you see what Nathan just tweeted? Maybe he could help Ligonier. Wow. And so Chris sent me a private DM and said, would you consider helping Ligonier Ministries? I was just like... Wow. What year was that, you said? 2010. Oh, that's awesome. amazing. Yes. You know, this is this is a surreal moment for me, Nathan, because in our ministry, we had for many years a picture up on the wall of Ray Comfort, uh, who's the founder of our ministry, sitting down at a table much like this, being interviewed by Dr. R.C. Sproul at an NRB. I so heard that story. At NRB. I didn't know that Yeah, part. it was at an NRB. So it's like, blink, you know, and here we are now mm-hmm. uh, sitting with you. And so you're Ray, I'm R.C.? I yeah, don't know. how that's are you? Nice to see you. Yeah, Ray Bryant. I know there was a, a surreal moment for you because I was I was trolling on Twitter there, checking you out a bit, and I saw a picture of you and Dr. R.C. Sproul in the RYM radio studio, mm-hmm. which I think you said was 11 years ago, and wow. then there was another picture of you in there now as the host. Yes. Man, what was that, that like for you? That, that so, sort of change. Yeah. So February 2012, we moved to the U.S. to work for Ligonier full-time. So my wife and I, three kids, we sold everything we owned, moved here with 10 suitcases. We had never stepped foot on U.S. soil before, had never met anyone that worked at Ligonier in person before, but we accepted, I accepted this full-time role. And the first photo I got with Dr. Sproul was in the studio. So he was very gracious. (laughs) I sat down, did a selfie with with RC. And then now, having the opportunity and privilege to be the host of that radio program Mm, is great. And then on top of that, if I go back to my time early in my marriage in Australia, the first thing that my wife and I regularly consumed and dug mm-hmm. into from Ligonier was Renewing Your Mind. Wow. We would listen to that podcast. Isn't so. it amazing, you know, the things the Lord does that you could never imagine? Something similar with me, and I was impacted by Ray's ministry far before I knew him. And I remember one day I dropped to my knees. I said, Lord, I pray that somehow, in some way, this man can one day disciple me. And the first time I learned about him, it was through a book someone gave me. They're like, man, you got to check this guy out. And then the next thing I saw in connection with him was him open air preaching in New York at Washington Square Park. And how crazy it was when one day after he became my father-in-law of all things, he comes up and he gives me a reprint of that book that I first learned about him through. He had secretly inserted a chapter with poetry that I had written in that same book. And then one year we were on our way to Israel and we had a layover in New York and I found myself standing there side by side with him, open air preaching in Washington Square Park, you know, the place that I saw him in in that video. And so just amazing what the Lord does. 
Yeah. So social media, man, this is your world. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about how social media changes us and what we can do about it. Mm -hmm. And so I'd like to first kick this off with a question to you about what ways social media has impacted us negatively, first as a society in general, and then as the church in particular. love to give things away. We love to give things away. And that's why we will do that every single day here on the Living Waters podcast. That's right, friends. We're giving away goodies for those of you who go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast and fill out the form. We are giving 10, believe it or not, 10 different people each week goodies from Living Waters, a $100 value for each box. You'll get tracts and books and a podcast mug and all kinds of good things. So make sure to participate at livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. And make sure to listen to the very end of the podcast where you will hear the announcement of the winners every week. Well, that could be a five-hour conversation. Let's do it. Like, <laughs> we've no got all day. This is a podcast, yes. man. <laughs> this is not radio. Right. So there are a number of ways that it's impacting us negatively. And I'll try and think about it from a Christian perspective, how yeah. it is in particular affecting the church. And that's what I think about a lot. One, I would say, is in the area of stewardship when it comes to time. Mm. Because we know as Christians that time is a gift. And we're called yeah. to steward this time that has been given. We, we can't number our days. And we're called, Paul tells us in Ephesians, to redeem the time. Mm. And if you look at the statistics, I think it's about 35% of teenagers say that they are almost constantly yeah. on some form of social media, including YouTube. Yeah. And then if you broaden that question and just say, well, how often are you online? It's, it's almost Massive. 50% yeah. that are saying they're almost constantly. Of yeah. course, they're using it every hour and, and all day. And so as Christians, we need to remember that we have this great stewardship of time and we are spending so much of it just kind of zombie scrolling yeah. through our devices. And it's, it's not exclusive to teenagers. We're all guilt, guilty of it yeah. at times. And so we need to remember that we have this great stewardship of the time that the Lord has given us. And I think when we meet Jesus, one of the things we will have to give an account for is not just every idle word, but every idle minute. Um, oh, because we're living in a period of time in history where we've, we've never had so much time to waste yeah. um, that we have wasted. That's great. I, you know, one of the things I think it's so important for everyone to realize, and, and, and the first step of understanding the influence in social media in our lives is to, is to realize that it's, our phones aren't like utility knives. It's not a Swiss army knife because a Swiss army knife doesn't change who you are. It doesn't affect the way you view the world, right? It doesn't affect the way you respond to ideas. You understand other human beings and et cetera, et cetera. But your, your social media devices, your phone has that power. Ultimately, it has the power to disciple you. And that's the thing that's important is that the hours that you just mentioned are actually discipleship hours. So the question is, Who's discipling you? Is it, you know, Joe Rogan, Andrew Humerman, or is it a pastor? And, and the reality is so many people, so many, unfortunately, so many Christians will spend 45 minutes to an hour and a half at church on Sunday, and then they spend the rest of the week being discipled by whatever it is that they're following on social media. That becomes their life liturgy. And so, Nathan, how would you suggest redeeming that time? What are, what are some practical ways we can make sure that we are being discipled by people 
rather than algorithms. Mm. Well, I was reading a book recently, and the gentleman in this book, he tells the story of basically how he came about to write this book. And he realized, I believe he was an attorney, he was just so busy, and he realized, he, a Christian man, that he was waking up every morning, the first thing he would do is reach over, grab his device, he's checking email, he's then lost into the world of work, he's thinking about all of that, the day goes by, he gets home, it's nine o'clock at night, he's saying goodnight to his kids, he goes to sleep, and that whole thing starts again. And so he made the decision that he was going to have this principle that he would put in place in his life, which was scripture before smartphone. (laughs) And it's so simple, and I can't point to a a chapter or verse that says everyone must do that. But there's a lot of wisdom there to say, before I touch a device, I'm going to open the Bible. I love I'm that. going to spend time in God's Word. And that's a very simple thing. Yeah. It's very practical, tangible. But if you begin your day in God's Word, mm. like that changes the trajectory of your day. I love that, Nathan. And I love the fact that you highlighted that there, there are certain things that we may not be able to find chapter and verse for. But I think what we abdicate when that becomes our mindset and everything we do as believers is the realm of wisdom. You know, the world uses worldly wisdom in so many things, and, and some of it, it coincides with what is right and good when we look at the tone and tenor of Scripture, right? And so, I think that when you highlight the fact that, hey, you don't find chapter and verse necessarily, but but what is wise, good, practical, how, how does this also comport to kind of the grand scheme of Scripture and what God has called us to as His people. You know, Ray says the same thing. No Bible, no breakfast, no read, no feed, <laughs> you know? I like that. Again, now, not to be legalistic about it, but there's there's wisdom in that principle to be able to say, hey, what would be beneficial? Mm-hmm. What would be honoring to the Lord? What's going to maximize my growth in Christ, my impact for Him in the world? And then I also love the fact that you highlighted the reality of accountability before the Lord. Uh, on a recent podcast, we talked about respectable sins. Mm. And I think sometimes when we think about accountability, we're thinking about it in sort of the grand scheme of things. But if we're going to give account for every idle word spoken, how about those idle moments, mm. you know, that we let just kind of run away from us instead of using them for God's glory? And so I love the fact that you highlighted that. Now, obviously, we know in the social media realm, There are negative elements. We've been touching on that. Can you highlight some of the positive ones, right? I mean, this is a part of your livelihood and what you do. It's a part of what we do as a ministry as well. But but how are some of the ways that Christians can steward social media from the positive standpoint? Can I mention one more negative before we go Absolutely. to the positive? Is sure. that okay? You can mention 10 more negatives you know? Well, once we go to the positive side, I don't want to bring the conversation down by getting negative again. <laughs> yeah, no, go, go for it. And, and there are a number of negatives. And we're, you know, we've thought about these things. There's articles online. People are talking about this often. But one thing that really concerns me, particularly post-2020, is that we're seeing the erosion of community. That's good, yeah. Yep. And when church went online... Mm. and people were watching live streams, the accelerated pace of people adopting digital technology, audiobooks, podcasts, all of this sort of thing, this upcoming generation doesn't have an appreciation for in-person, embodied community, Mm. worship, and we're called not to neglect the gathering together of the saints. And there are many, many people that when they think about what a local church is, they don't see the distinction between online church, virtual church, and embodied worship with a group of people where there are pastors that know your name, who will give an account for you, they're caring for your soul. And I think of the end of Second John, and John says, there's basically, there's so much more I wish I could say to you, mm. but I would rather not use uh, paper and ink. I'd <laughs> rather come to you 
and be face to face so that our joy may be full. And this is a wonderful conversation. And we could have had this conversation any week for the past year. We could have Zoomed together and sat down virtually and recorded a podcast episode. But there is something different when you're sitting across the table from each other. I can look you in the eyes. Although I love digital technology. I love social media and the good that it has done. I love the reach that it has enabled for the gospel to go forth, to enter into closed countries. We need to say and have a firm commitment as Christians that our preferred method of discipleship and our preferred method of growing in Christian community needs to be in person, embodied uh, face-to-face across the table from Man, each other. That, that so is good. so crucial. In fact, that was, I'm just going to read it word for word. That was my question for you. In such a predominant social media age, what safeguards can we put in place to protect ourselves from disconnecting from real-life community and interpersonal face-to-face interactions in the real world? Because, yeah, from the spiritual standpoint, people have pretty much made their church in, in the social media realm, and especially, I think, because they caught accustomed to, hey, with COVID, some churches, even those that stayed opened, ultimately at first shut down because no one knew what was going on, but they got accustomed to that whole realm. But then also, Nathan, from the standpoint of just human interaction for the sake of the gospel, right? We're talking about discipleship and, and church community, but for the sake of the gospel, I mean, what advice would you give believers in terms of being cautious to not get sucked into that rabbit hole? I really would appeal to the older generation because I really think that it is on those more seasoned Christians and those that may be baby boomers, Gen X, to reach out to the younger generations. Mm, that's good. What I see happening is this continued generational divide. Now, if you look at church history or American history over the past number of decades, you can see how kind of the younger church, older church has separated, contemporary Christian music. Parents are saying, well, I will go to whatever church my children like like the music or so like true, the youth man. group. And so those, <laughs> those churches that have been there for generations, faithfully preaching the Bible, verse by verse, book by book, those churches have got smaller and smaller and smaller. And there yeah. might be 30 faithful older saints. And so it grieves me to see this generational gap. Yeah. Some churches where they take the children out and there's that split. Now, with the explosion of technology, you have young people who basically look at mom and dad or grandma and granddad and say, you have no idea how to use this device. And of course, no. even now, like my oldest, she's the only one that has a smartphone. She still sometimes laughs at me. And I'm meant to be this tech guy. But <laughs> yeah. it's like, dad, what are you doing? So there is this technology divide where young people think, my parents, my grandparents, they don't know anything. The problem is that that might be true, but these older generations actually have wisdom. They've yeah. spent time in the Word. They know how to apply the written Word of God to life's circumstances. And they actually have a lot to say about the area of technology if just these two generations spoke Got to together. each other. Yeah. Wow. And the younger generation, they're scared now. Like, if a doorbell rings, they have a panic attack. They don't want to answer <laughs> their phone if it rings. So like, all of these kinds of things. Yeah. And, and I empathize with them in some senses because they're being brought up in a very strange environment. That's why I say I think it is this older generation almost needs to adopt a grandchild yeah. um, or adopt a son or daughter in the church to just have a conversation yeah. with them. I love that. Mm. There's uh, there's somebody who ran like a mentorship program and I was reading, he had a little 
pamphlet and he was talking about the struggle of finding mentors. And he said he goes into these churches and he'll go to the younger generation and he'll say, how many of you are interested in having a type of mentor discipleship relationship with somebody who's older than you? And the hands went up. He would get 10, 15, 20 young adults saying, yes, I need an older mentor in my life. We're talking about millennials, Gen Zs saying, yes, that's what I need. And then he'd have a meeting with the older generation. And he, he would say, how many of you guys see that the younger generation needs mentorship? And like, oh, they definitely need mentorship. Those whippersnappers, this and that, blah, blah, blah. And then he would, he would ask, okay, how many of you are, have the time and are willing to mentor? And very little hands would go up. I think it was like a 10 to 1 odds. And so I like that call, the way that you initiated that response, which is a calling to the older generation to say, hey, how can you redeem the time by putting yourself out there and being willing to have a meaningful conversation with the younger generation? And there's a sense of uncomfortability probably a discomfort like what what would what would you know some some young millennial gen z want to do with me surprisingly a lot actually hmm. the younger generation is really open to being mentored in what we need that is is that generational connection i love the way you put that let me ask you this cuz you you mentioned you got a 17 year old daughter mm-hmm. what about social media and teens uh, you know jonathan height has done a really great job of helping us understand the impact that social media has on teenagers he shows that the core Correlation between depression, anxiety, body image issue with young females, and so much of that can be related to the moment they get online. And one of the things that he talks about is that social media is ultimately designed to be addictive, just as addictive almost as cigarettes or alcohol. And mm-hmm. yet we don't give 12 or 13 year olds cigarettes or alcohol, right? Because the young mind is not developed and ready to consume something so addictive And yet so many teens are on this addictive behavioral product. And so the question is, what are the choices you've made with your children? And how can other families navigate that in a world where every teenager seems to have social media? So when you look at the statistics, now I think it's 95% of teenagers have a smartphone. Mm. So nine and a half teenagers, I don't know if I get the right five, <laughs> yeah. but basically nine out of 10 teenagers have a smartphone. So they're, they're on social media. For us as a family, basically because of my work and the things that I've read and thinking about these things earlier than I guess most parents, we made the decision that our children don't need to have a smartphone. Yeah. We did have some iPads in the home. We had time restrictions when devices came out. Uh, We live on a two-story home, so first floor, second floor. Bedrooms are upstairs, which I love this in the design because we just made the rule, no technology upstairs. Love it. So they couldn't take it into the bedroom. Now, my oldest, she'll turn 17 uh, next month, and she now has a smartphone. She got a smartphone because she got a job. She got a job. She needed to have a phone. We needed needed to be able to communicate with her. It could have been a, a dumb phone, and there is a resurgence in people saying, we just want a device where mom and dad can call. She demonstrated great wisdom. She had demonstrated that she was respecting boundaries that we had put in her life throughout her early teen years and her teen years. So we felt like we could trust her. I think it was Tim Challies had said some of the restraints we put on our lives, whether it's fil- internet filter devices and certain rules, it's almost like a scaffold yeah. that yeah. you're putting over your children. And as they get older, you're removing things. Mm, so good. So we trusted her with that device and continued to talk with her. That generational thing is parents to children yeah. too. So how are you using this device? Now, I will tell you, I am a blessed father that all of my children say to me, they do not want social yeah. media. Yeah. Wow. So I don't have, I have three, teen, uh, yeah, three teenage girls and then a boy. 
None of those girls are asking me, Dad, can I please be on Instagram? Mm, no. I will tell you this, though, and I've mentioned this in, in a number of settings. I am blessed that my wife homeschools our children. Many husbands say we homeschool. My wife does the homeschooling. <laughs> right. But they're very, very active in our church community. Many times throughout the week, they're there. They're speaking to people of their own age, of multiple ages. But there is a danger because there are parents that say we have made the rule that our children will not be on social media, but they give them internet-enabled iPads or yeah. other tablet devices, yeah. and they are group texting, whether it's mm -hmm. Google Chat right, or some other right. thing. They have their own instance of social media, just localized to that church community or that local community, wherever they are, yeah. people in the sports team or in school or whatever the case may be. And what is happening in those group chats is just as unhelpful Absolutely. and just as foolish as what yeah. you would see on Twitter or Instagram. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. And I love that, Nathan. You know, that's what we did with our own children. We have five, and we didn't let them get a, a smartphone until basically they started driving because similar to work, you know, we needed to have contact with them in case there was an emergency or whatever. But we didn't allow social media until, until they turned 18, but we discipled them up to that point. And I think that that's often the missing element sometimes in parenting today with Christians is that there isn't a buildup. There isn't that communication like you're talking about so that when they get there, they're ready to handle it. You know, they've seen all sides of it from the most important disciplers in their lives, and that's their parents. And it was kind of similar with us because our daughters especially said, thank you yeah. for not allowing us to get on social media because they saw the drama mm -hmm. that that caused in the lives of their friends and, and just the, the, the insanity that gave birth to. And so, you know, there are certain social media platforms that especially our boys will not go on because that's another big problem. It's the dangers of what's on social media, all the God dishonoring filth that we see there, especially in the, in the pornographic realm. And so, Oscar, were you going to say something? You look like you had something to say. Yeah, well, no, just relating. I mean, I'm thinking about all the family and parents out there that are struggling through this right now. I certainly feel your pain. There's been moments. We, I have a 13-year-old going to be 14 next month, and we've taken the same route. 18 is going to be the number for us, and, and she, uh, she does have a mobile phone. But what's great about some of the phones now is you can keep them really restricted. Because yeah. of the way we move around and travel, we felt it was necessary the phone numbers that she has on there, they come through us. We accept them. We deny them. If she gets a text message from somebody that does, is not an accepted contact, it doesn't go through. She's got no internet. It's basically a dumb phone, right, with 10 contacts on there. <laughs> but there has been those moments, if I'm being honest, where my kid will come home and they'll say, man, I, I, you know, everyone's on social media. I'm not sure why I can have it. And it doesn't make sense to me all the time. And I'm responsible, aren't I? I've had those conversations. But we've pressed through, we've explained ourselves, we've given our daughter articles to read that quote stats and talk about anxiety and depression. And similar to your experience, Yuzi, she has come back at times and, and has seen what is going on in her friend's life and, and has gone, wow, I get it now, I get it. And one of the realities is it's not just social media, what's out there, but it's also being able to remove yourself from school relationships. Because if you think about it, and this is one of the reasons why anxiety and depression is so high, if you think about it, when we were growing up, if we had a bad day at school, if we got an argument with a friend, we went home and it was done. 
We went home and we were disconnected from that friend and now we're home and we've got our neighborhood kids and we've got a family and it was separate. But nowadays, some of these teenagers, they'll get into an argument and they'll go home and they'll continue online or in text and they'll lay down in bed and if they got their phones with them in bed, they're sitting there watching it happen at two, three, four, five o'clock in the morning. I mean, I've heard these stories of girls that will stay up all hours of the night tormenting themselves because of one comment that was made at nine o'clock the morning before at school. And so that's ultimately what parents are trying to protect their children from. But what about, Nathan, protecting ourselves? Because we are all fallen. And it would be foolish to think that the dangers of social media are primarily teenagers. I'm 39 years old and I have dangers. What are the pitfalls that we have ourselves as consumers of social media and and how can we identify the way it's impacting our lives? So I've been recently reading uh, Screwtape Letters, Mm, Lewis. So good. And the big takeaway as I read that is realizing how skilled we are at rationalizing our sin. Like when you think of the psychology of how Screwtape is suggesting that you manipulate Christians. Yeah. And we need to remember, as you're identifying, that we we can think, yeah, this is a problem just for teenagers, but it's for us as well. And we are very, very skilled at rationalizing the time that we spend on a device. I sit here and I say, you know, it's consuming our time. It's eroding our time. We need to give an account for it. All the while, like, what was I doing on my device Mm. an hour ago before I came here? Yeah. Um, What am I doing as I'm I'm meant to be employed? Am I making the most of my time? Am I getting sucked into those things? I would say, as, as I always say, make sure that you are connected in a local church. Mm. Make sure that you're part of some kind of accountability or discipleship group, that you're not just dropping in and dropping out. It is the, the means of grace working in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit that helps us see those areas of sin. Yeah. It's, it's not possible for us to lock down our device to say, I can't receive calls and I can't receive texts, but we have to pray for wisdom. Yeah. We're told if you, if you lack wisdom, ask for it, it'll be given to you. Yeah. And we need to be continually praying for wisdom and have the willingness to ask ourselves or our brothers in Christ the hard questions yeah. about how we're using our devices. I have, I have a friend that just says, I don't have Instagram on my phone. Mm-hmm. He just knows if Instagram is there, it's, he's going to see things he doesn't need mm-hmm. to see. Right. And that doesn't help him. So he chooses not to use it. Yeah. And I think that there is a lot of wisdom in, and a lot of courage mm-hmm. in being able to say, I'm, I'm going to make the hard choice because I know how frail I am. And this individual is not doing what most teenagers are doing. You know, 85% of teenage boys have been exposed to pornography. That's not his story. Yeah. Yeah. But he just knows this is not helpful yeah. for me. And we need to be willing as men and as, as Christian women to make these hard decisions to say, I'm going to say no, I, I won't put this app on my device. Or there are, there are other things. You can, on, a, on an iPhone, you can change the color scheme yeah. to be grayscale. Yeah. And a simple thing like that oh. psychologically stops the drawer of the screen. Yep. Yeah. And Nathan, wouldn't you say as well that, I mean, ultimately, obviously, it comes down to the fear of God yeah. in our hearts. Because, I mean, we all know that those who, who have said time and again that they're not going to look at porn again, they're not going to do this or that, they even may put things on their phone that will restrict them, uh, accountability software. If someone wants to find a, a way around those things, they will. Mm-hmm. It comes down to the fear of the Lord. But at the same time, too, I mean, in keeping with the principles that Christ taught us about plucking out your eye and cutting off your hand, taking those extreme measures in terms of cutting sin out of your life, don't you think there are some people who have proven 
that they can't trust themselves with social media and they just need to get off of it altogether. It's really good. Yeah. No, I, I think absolutely. Yeah, I'll bring this up. I can remember Adele, the, the music artist. Yeah. When she was in the height of her fame, she was making mistakes on Twitter and things like that. And I don't know all what was going on in her personal life, but I believe there was alcohol, pills, perhaps, these things happening, that she was just making very, very foolish decisions publicly. Uh-huh. And so the people around her and probably the music label that want to continue making money, they took her device off her. <laughs> yeah. You cannot have this. You are wow. demonstrating that you cannot control yourself and use this device. Yeah. Now, I understand she's, she's different now than she was then. I don't know. I don't know at hell. But we need to be able to recognize the fullness of ourselves, the weakness of our flesh, yeah. and say, perhaps this isn't for me. Yeah. There, I mean, even more relevant, recent than that, there's an incredibly talented NBA star, John Morant, right now, who is self-destructing his life via social media, which is no. another prime example. And we talked about the pornographic issues. One of the other aspects, which you touched on it earlier, is the way our phones turn us into consumers. And, and you mentioned apps, and something that we've talked about before on our podcast is that our phones... They don't work for us. This is ultimately that, that, you know, the smart device that's in your pocket is actually not working for you. It's working for all of the companies that create the apps mm. that's on there. And every single app that you have, whether it's social media or anything else, is designed, you can almost summarize to do one thing, which is to make you want, mm-hmm. to make you feel unsatisfied, to make you think, you know, if only I had that experience, that vacation, that product, that car that family, then I'd be more happy. And when it succeeds, it causes us to spend and to consume more and more and more in pursuit of this supposed peace and happiness, which goes back to, I think, paying attention to the liturgies of our lives. If the liturgy of my life is being determined by apps that make me want then I'm going to long for all the things of this world. The liturgy, which you talked about before, about prayer and reading, time in the morning, if the liturgy of my overall life and my overall day is pointing me towards Christ, then I will find the satisfaction and joy that is found in Christ. And, And that's probably a great transition to go back to the question that you asked earlier, which is with that said, how can we use our smart devices and social media for the glory of God. In what ways, Nathan, has it been beneficial in your life other than your career? (laughs) Uh, But seriously, in in what ways has it drawn you closer to the Lord? Well, I can think back almost 20 years ago, and I was at a little Bible study. I had been a Christian for, I don't know, I I think a couple of years, at least in church, had prayed sinners' prayers and would have called myself a Christian, and, and maybe I was, but I was still trying to understand this, this Christian religion. And I was in this Bible study, and somebody said to me, you need to go to livingwaters.com. Wow. I think that was the web address they said. No way. Yeah, and you need to, there's two messages you need to listen no to. No way. Uh, Hell's best kept secret and true, and true and false, false conversion. conversion. Yeah. <laughs> so I went home from that Bible study, wow. and it was a Friday night. I watched both of those messages. And that was the first time that I, I had this almost Isaiah 6 to wow. reference R.C. Sproul and the Holiness of God moment oh, where I was taken through the law of God and for the first time truly understood just how sinful I am wow. and the need I had for a Savior. And that was revolutionary in my life. You know, R.C., when he talks about getting saved, he speaks about his second conversion uh-huh. where he encountered the holiness of God and became aware of God in all of his fullness. I don't know. Maybe it's a similar experience to that <laughs> where I just, for the first time, saw God 
in his majestic holiness and me so in my wow. lowliness. <laughs> so that is, at least for one sinner, yeah. that was an incredible way that the Lord <laughs> has used technology. That is, that is so, so moving, Nathan, man. I'm so glad you shared that. And you didn't know that story. I know, no, yeah, no idea. First time what a blessing. I'm going to share that with Ray. He's going to be so blessed and encouraged. And, you know, it's amazing because when, when I was a biblical studies and theology major back in, in college, one of my teachers played for us The Holiness of God oh, by, by Dr. R.C. Sproul. Oh. And that had a massive impact on me. In fact, uh, in devotions, I watched it through with my wife and kids uh, a few years ago. And so what a blessing to see how our ministries and our lives have intersected. Mm-hmm. And we're just so excited about what you guys are doing. Can you just quickly here as we wrap up, tell people about how they can connect with Ligonier. I mean, one of the things I love about your ministry is that you guys aren't just about teaching people, but you're about getting them to, and I love this, this is straight from what you guys say, you want to equip Christians to know what they believe, why they believe it, and how to live it, and how to share it. Obviously, the sharing part is a big part of what we do, but tell people about Ligonier, how they can connect with you personally on social media, and uh, how you guys can serve them. Now that we've convinced people to not be on social media, how can they connect with you on social media? <laughs> For hours on For end. hours. Just scroll through all of my feeds and Ligonier's feeds. Uh, yeah, so Ligonier Ministries, founded by R.C. Sproul, 1971. So we're over 50 years old now. In fact, at NRB, we're receiving an award tonight for more than 50 years wow. of, of ministry. Amazing. It's really exciting that... You know, our found it's not exciting that our founder went home to be with the Lord, but it is for him. It is for him, (laughs) not for us. But he went home to be with the Lord at the end of 2017. And what is exciting is that the growth the ministry has experienced in the five plus years after his death is more than the growth we experienced in the years prior and leading up to his death. And it is just so humbling to see the way that the Lord is taking truth well told and sending it not just throughout the United States, but throughout the world. So yeah. if you're listening, you're not familiar with Ligonier Ministries, if you can spell it, I encourage you to go to Ligonier.org, L-I-G-O-N-I-E-R. We mentioned I'm the host of Renewing Your Mind. This really it's is our flagship podcast and broadcast, yeah. RenewingYourMind.org. Every single day, we have R.C. Sproul or other trusted teachers opening God's Word. Mm. A really good liturgy to be a part of yeah. your life, to just listen and be in God's Word every single day. Yeah. And if you want to follow me on social media, at N.W. Bingham, basically, anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Nathan, let me just say, since you shared that story, likewise, Dr. Spool had such an impact on my life. I was an atheist in high school and college. And then when I became a Christian, I went to a sort of seeker-friendly-ish church. And I remember being a part of a Bible study and, and, you know, I was showing up on Wednesday preparing, reading my Bible and starting to get access. I remember listening to the holiness of God. And then I, I watched a series by RC and I don't remember the name, but it was so meaningful. And so I brought notes from RC to this Bible study and it caused an uproar. (laughs) And I was so shocked because it was my first experience. You know, again, I have no clue about the Christian realm, the world. I didn't know that like good theology was controversial to some people. (laughs) And so there was, there was a lot. I remember getting into a bit of an argument with people that were there. It was like, theology isn't that important. And I was like, wait, what? Like, I didn't know this was a thing, that this was a thing to even be argued for. And just since that, time until my life now. Like, I don't think you can unwind my understanding of God's word and not see the impact that RC and Ligonier, the rest of your teachers had in my life. So wow. I'm really glad you're here. Thank you for joining us. And again, just to reemphasize, if you're not familiar with the ministry, they have so many tools and resources wow. that it would be a good way to spend your liturgical week embedding yourself in what they've done. Yeah. And you know, Nathan, let me just say this too, as I close, Mission Drift is such a huge problem for so many ministries, especially when the founder is gone. 
thank you guys for sticking with the mission and for doing it with excellence because that's one of the elements, unfortunately, that's absent from a lot of Christian ministries. And so we're honored to call you guys friends. We're honored to call you fellow laborers in God's kingdom. And we look forward to many more connections with you. Thanks for coming on with us today. Thanks for having me. Grateful for you. Well, friends, I'm sure you can see why we said it was such a great and refreshing interview. Nathan gave us some great insights. It was delightful, wasn't it, Oscar? Yeah, it was. Ray, what was your favorite part? Just the whole thing just meant so much to me. <laughs> but boy, isn't it encouraging to see what Hell's Best Kept Secret and True and False Conversion can do mm. with an individual? And I, I'm surprised time and time again when we come across people who are excited to meet different people, different speakers, different teachers, but then they come up to us at events and they say, you are pivotal. That teaching Hell's Best Kept Secret was pivotal to get me to walk on that straight and narrow path, to examine myself to see if I'm in the faith. And I think as we examine Hell's Best Kept Secret and True and False Conversion, as was mentioned here by Nathan, boy, that, that is the testimony of so many people. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, if you're not familiar with Ligonier Ministries, they do an amazing thing. Their founder, R.C. Sproul, they have so much great content, including podcasts and videos and articles. So feel free to visit their website. They're a trusted resource, yeah. uh, not only in the but also apologetics. Yeah, and it's interesting because when we were there, we reminisced about how, Ray, you had at one point been interviewed at a CBA by Dr. R.C. Sproul. Yes. In fact, we used to have, before we renovated here, we had that picture up on the wall of you and That's right. Yeah, I had a great time. I was able to bluff it for an hour. (laughs) (laughs) He is brilliant, man. I mean, Ben Stein, remember when Ben Stein did an interview with him? He's just like, you are so smart. He was just like- Brilliant. Yeah. So he didn't say it that enthusiastically. You are so smart. (laughs) (laughs) Where do you get this? This is common knowledge. (laughs) We all know it's not. Well, friends, there you have it. Don't forget to check out the Outreach Book Pack and the Evidence Study Bible and the Living Waters Mug, alllivingwaters.com. Remember to comment and to give us ratings and to send us your thoughts at podcast.livingwaters.com. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you here next time on the Living Waters Podcast, where we still have no idea what we're doing. Winners, winners, winners. That's you, friends. Those of you who I'm about to announce are the winners of this week's podcast giveaway on the Living Waters podcast. We've got Carlos from Lamont, California, Daniel from Jamestown, North Carolina, Ed Washburn from Tennessee, David Norwood from North Carolina, Doug Campobello from South Carolina, Ali from Falls Church, Virginia, Adrian from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, Joshua from Excelsior Springs, Missouri, Eva from Bow Island, Canada, and Penelope from Bardwell Park, Australia. Shout out to the Aussies and the Canadians out there. Friends, you can get this too. Those of you who are listening, just share the word and sign up for the Living Waters Podcast.